in the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans, and in chapter 7, you will probably find the most humble and honest section of Scripture in terms of self-assessment as any place among the Word of God. Listen very carefully to the description that this man gives of himself in Romans chapter 7, beginning in verse 21. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? That's honest, isn't it? This is most likely referencing his sort of age of accountability, we would call it, where he understood his choices as he existed under the law of Moses. And he came to the realization that though he wanted to serve God, he did not always serve God. Though he wished to follow the law, he did not always follow the law, and it made him feel horrible about himself. In fact, he said, wretched man that I am. This is not dissimilar to a place that most of us have come to in our lives pertaining to the law of Christ, wherein we want to do well, but we sin and we are wretched because we have to wear the results of that sin. He needed some release from the terror of his own mistakes. So the passage goes on to say, Thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other hand with my flesh, the law of sin. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What's he saying there? He's saying, I found release from the pain of my mistakes through none other than Jesus Christ. He has brought me to a place where I suffer no condemnation. And that's the best place there is. No condemnation, but peace in Him. But He acknowledges in verse 25, this does not mean even under the law of Christ now, that all sin goes away. There would still be shortcomings. He would still commit things related to the flesh. But He has found an agency for forgiveness. And that's where He would find His peace. But this did not mean that you could continue in sin so that grace may increase. Romans 6, verses 1 and 2. I found a way to live according to the flesh and the Spirit at the same time, and Jesus will take care of everything. That is not what this text is teaching. This text is saying that Jesus will save me despite the fact that I still succumb to the pressures of the flesh. That's an entirely different tone, isn't it? And to sort of fortify that commitment, listen to what he says next. He says, beginning in verse 5, For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit, 
For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God. It is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So he's saying, I am trying to abandon the ways of the flesh. I've made a determination to set my heart and my mind fully on the will of the Spirit. We're going to talk about that some tonight. He would find peace in seeking to serve the Lord. He goes on to explain it in this way in verse 12. So then, brethren, we are under obligation, not to the flesh. It's the old us. To live according to the flesh. For if you're living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. So let's talk about his findings, because I think they're incredibly relevant to every person in the room tonight. His findings are, before I found Jesus, I made some good choices and some bad choices, but the bad choices made me feel so terrible that I couldn't enjoy the value of the good ones. And then I found Jesus. And Jesus took all condemnation away for all of the sin, but I still commit sin. I know that I do, so I must set every effort of my life to trying to abandon that sin. To set my mind on things that are good and things that are whole. But it's going to be a fight, folks. It would be a constant, daily battle to keep his mind in the right places and to be led by the Spirit and not by the flesh. And I suspect that just about every adult in the room tonight knows exactly what this feels like. How many times have you read, to back up a little bit, this line, I find the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. Does nobody here know what that feels like? I want to serve the Lord, I want to do what is right, and yet I find myself making the mistakes of the flesh. Though a reference to Moses' law here, that violation of law would continue. And yet, if we are willing to fight for our purity, and abandon the flesh at every opportunity, and pursue the will of the Spirit, the Lord will forgive you those sins. He will redeem you, and He will save you. That is our discussion tonight. The Spirit versus the flesh. The very real battle. The daily challenges that come along with setting all of our attention in one direction and occasionally undermining it all by stepping in another direction. There is a way in which we can fight this battle where we can have courage and confidence of salvation, though we struggle at times along the way. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. I'm so glad to get to be here. It's Monday night. We've got some visitors from the area. Brother and Sister Noble are here. That's the best thing that's happened to me all week is seeing him, and I remember that time I walked up the hill for three miles. My shins still burn a little bit. That was 2013. We've got members who are back here tonight. You made a choice. You took your feet, and you went somewhere. And it matters, and it makes a difference to the people who are here. I am once again thankful to the eldership, the four men who oversee the folks who worship here. And I'm humbled by the idea that they let you sit there and listen to me talk. That that is not something that just goes over my head. I'm impressed by their willingness to do that uh, and, and just, you know, maybe boldness to try that. 
And I'm glad to get to speak with you about this. I don't know what to preach, folks. Except the stuff I'm fighting. I don't know what else to preach. All I want to do is good. All I want to do is be holy. I don't want to sin ever. Ever. And yet I have to deal with the inability to come through on that. I need to know how to fight better. And I need to know how to live courageously during the battle. That's what we're going to talk about. So a few things that will come up. And I want to start when we talk about this battle within. And by the way... This is not the battle within our country. It's not the battle within our church. It's not the battle within your family. We're talking about the battle within you. The individual fight that every Christian is undertaking on a day-to-day basis. We will be based in Galatians, but stay in Romans for just another minute or two. Let's talk about a few things concerning this choice of setting your mind on one thing or the other. And I just want to start with this. Let's make sure we're really clear on something. Freedom is on the line. This is not some deal where maybe we choose to do the right thing or maybe the wrong thing and in the end God will save everybody or maybe God will save nobody. It matters. Our freedom is on the line. Are you in Romans? Would you look again at chapter 8, please, verse 13. In Romans eight thirteen, if you are living according to the flesh, and this, by the way, is after enjoying all the grace and mercy of the blood of Jesus, you must... Die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now, we are not going to say at any point tonight that you can leave here and never sin again. That's not exactly what this is about. But if I ever give in and just choose to live for the flesh because the battle is too difficult, please know this, your soul is lost. Our freedom is on the line. And lest we say, well, I'm a Christian now and the grace of God is so tremendous that, yeah, I've got a few things going on. But the grace of God is going to somehow flood over the top of that and make it all okay. I would draw your attention back to chapter 6 for a moment. In Romans chapter 6, we reference this verse just a minute ago. What shall we say then? And he had just talked about the abounding grace of God in chapter 5 verse 20. Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? We can't still live in it and stay free. You can't still live in it and stay free. Now, the references that you have on the overhead are from Galatians. That will be the central hub for most of what we'll do for the rest of the night. Occasionally, we'll jump back to the book of Romans, so you might mark that. But for now, head over to Galatians chapter 5. We are here because there is a very definite description of what the flesh is like and what the spirit is like. And we can identify some very practical choices on what we're living for and how to fight this battle. If you're there with me in Galatians chapter 5, I would like to read verses 13, please, through 16. Is our freedom on the line tonight? Let's see. For you are called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. There may have been some in that church, or the churches of Galatia, who felt like now that they're Christians, there's a little bit more freedom to indulge the flesh, and I don't have to carry all that guilt. He said, not so. Do not turn your perceived freedom into an opportunity to serve the flesh. That's not why Jesus died. Everybody knows that, right? 
Jesus didn't die so that we could delve headlong into the pleasures of this flesh without the guilt of penalty. That's not why he gave his life. He put his flesh to death to save your soul. And so we crucify our flesh as well. There was some of that going on, but we're being told to walk by the Spirit. If I took you to Romans chapter 11, verse 22, would you know what that says? Romans chapter 11, verse 22. Behold then the kindness and the severity of God. God is so kind. He is so kind. But there is a natural severity that comes along with His plan of kindness. Behold then both the kindness and severity of God. It goes on to say, if you walk with God, kindness. But if, the biggest little word in the Bible, if. If you do not walk in it, severity. It is the grace of God that has provided salvation to the sinner. That's what Paul was celebrating in Romans 8. But it is not an agency for sin. And I just want our folks to know that freedom is on the line. Let me just say, I think that's what's happening to our culture. What's slowly but surely sort of overtaking our culture is sin is not a big deal. I mean, that's kind of the thing, right? And there's a lot of ways to do that. You can use uh, celebrities and movies and TV shows and other influences. But when you decide that sin is not that big a deal, then sin begins to permeate and destroy and take over everything else. We're here to fight that tonight. Your freedom's on the line. That's the first observation I would make with you tonight. And here's the second thing. It's serious. There's no doubt about it. But there is a message that I want in particular our young people to get that I honestly don't think you're hearing enough. And here it is. You can win. We believe in you. Just because it's difficult and the fleshly things are heavily tempting and the world is telling you that your freedom's not on the line, surely you shall not die. I read that somewhere, Genesis somewhere. Just because the devil's tactics are still in play, Adam and Eve, of course, we're referencing, doesn't mean you have to fail. I just feel like there's this sort of narrative going around that when you're a teenager, you're really just going to make a lot of mistakes. This pornography problem is just too big. You'll never really be able to get away from it. Immorality is something that everybody delves into for a little while here or there, then they come right back out of it. There are sins that are just sort of a natural part of the stumbling process to learning how to stand. Baloney, and I don't care how you spell it, G-N or N-N-Y, whatever, it's baloney. That's a non-starter. You don't have to fail. You can be successful. You can do right. Let me show you something. Are you in Galatians 5? Look at verse 16. I believe in the promises of God. I believe that when God gives us assurances of victory, if we follow His rules, that's exactly what we'll get. And if I'm looking at Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, here's what I find. I say, and of course he's speaking by virtue of the Holy Spirit here, walk by the Spirit, and you will not, N-O-T, carry out the desire of of the flesh. Now, I would temper that a little bit, and I would say, remember, even Paul said, still occasionally things happen. There will be mistakes, there will be sin, but those things won't ramp up or build or become habit or take you over, and you'll rebound quickly. If we walk by the Spirit, you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. I need you to believe that tonight. Part of the defeat is we walk into the battle already pretty sure we're going to get defeated. <coughs> 
And then we wonder why we didn't stand this time. Why did I get angry? Why did I view that? Why did I say and do that? Because we go in kind of expecting we're probably not going to do well. College students know how that works with tests. And the rest of us know how that works with life. I believe that we can be victorious. Look in 1 Corinthians 15 for a moment. We're going to come right back to Galatians, but I need you in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where he talks about victory over death and the resurrection that is coming. And this great victory in verse 57, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ, kind of like what we saw in Romans 8. And then it says in verse 58, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. If my attitude is, I'm not always going to be able to be steadfast. We all have our moments, you know. And I'll probably get moved around a little bit, but, you know, by and large, I'm a pretty good Christian. And I don't know about this work of the Lord stuff, but I'm definitely going to be there on Sundays, probably twice. You've already failed the test. Because I believe I'm not going to be successful. This text says you're already victorious in Jesus. Start living like it. Be steadfast, be immovable, always abound, fully knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. You can win the war. But I need to tell you a little bit about the battlefield. If we're going to win the war, we need to know a little bit about the battlefield. Who's on it? How's it working? For that, I need you back in Galatians chapter 5. I want to show this to you on the overhead behind me. The battlefield is... Your heart, your mind, it's in you. Remember, this is the battle going on within you. And there's an adversary on one side attacking, and there's the will of God on the other. But what does that all look like? You don't have to guess at that. If you're in Galatians 5, you know exactly what it looks like. It looks like the deeds of the flesh versus the fruit of the Spirit. Nine things, and Lord willing, tomorrow night we're going to delve right off into these nine things, relating them to our prayer lives. But you have love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Those are your weapons. Those are your tools. Those are your chariots and your horses. That's what you have to win with. Now, the other side has more names on it, but it's not stronger. There's a category of sexual sin, immorality, impurity, and sensuality. That's fighting against you. You need to recognize that's a reality. Idolatry and sorcery would relate to putting things before God or moving God down the list for the sake of other interests. Enmities and strife and jealousy or relationship problems. Outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions and envy. More relationship problems and drunkenness and carousing. A lack of self-control and doing evil is like sport to a fool. Proverbs 10 last night. And that's part of it as well. You can win this war. How do you do it? Well, you need to pick the right weapons. I would ask somebody to identify, and I'm not going to call on you tonight, but identify right now, right here, this week, this day in your life, what on that deeds of the flesh list is getting to you the most. What are you being challenged by the most? What what is that thing that keeps getting through the defenses and you're starting to wonder, can I win? And, And am I committing this sin too often and now God won't cover me anymore? I'm not the only person in the room that's thought that. I'm sure of it. You know how you fight it? 
It says, verse 16, you walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. It says in verse 17, for the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh, for these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. They are in opposition, but I guarantee you by the power of God, the nine things on your left are infinitely stronger than the list on the right. You know how you defeat immorality? Love. Love for God. Love for your spouse. Love for your observing children. Love for God's people roots out and casts away immorality. You know how you overcome strife and jealousy? Joy. Joy in who you are, joy in what God has done for you, joy in the great things that you have, and you do have great things. Rejoicing in who you are as a Christian takes strife and jealousy and throws it out. How do you defeat drunkenness? Self-control. An analysis of your power versus your right and measuring the difference between what I have the power to do and what I have the right to do. That's called self-control. When you measure that difference, and you use that to govern the way your Tuesday is going to go, and you move those things away. We can win the war, but we need to know exactly who's out there fighting, and we need to pit a victorious soldier against one who is to be defeated. Let me show you a third thing here. Chapter 5, again, verse 17. Look at the list. Do these guys like each other at all? How do you think they get along? You think uh, peace and strife can go have dinner together? They're just going to hang out. I mean, I'm, I'm peace, you're strife. Let's hang out. Maybe we'll come up with some new thing. You know, streese, pipe. No. They don't know how to live together. They couldn't live. They couldn't even have dinner together. Much less could they wed and bear offspring. They hate each other. Their purpose is to eradicate the other. So our third observation is this. If we want to understand the battle within, we need to understand the stakes are very, very high on an everyday kind of basis. We need to understand that there's a confidence that comes from what God has set up for us, and we must accept no compromises because they just don't exist. Uh, The devil's pretty clever. And he likes to convince me that I can have some of one and some of the other, and somehow they'll learn to get to live together because I have more good than bad. Let me take you back to the list again. Uh, yeah, there's, okay, right? There's a little bit of immorality in my life. And it's not just flashes where I step in, I feel terrible, and I step back out. There's real immorality in the way I think or what I'm viewing on a computer screen, and it's there, and it lives there. I'll be honest, it lives. Hypothetical. In case it sounds like a confession. But there's also faithfulness in me. And this sense of goodness in me. And in a lot of other things, I show self-control. So when you kind of measure it out, I'm pretty good. If you have a little bit of immorality in you, and a lot of faithfulness, that immorality is sitting in the corner of your brain right now, planning a new strategy to win by destroying whatever faithfulness you have left. They do not know how to live together. 
So what does that say? It doesn't say that sin will never occur. We've established that very clearly. I think Romans 7.25 establishes that there would still be mistakes along the way. But I must never accept that there's going to be some good and some bad in me because they couldn't accept each other. No more than the devil and the Son of God could accept one another. Our third point is simple. Accept no compromises. So now what do we do? We've got a little bit of understanding about sort of what's going on and where it is and what it looks like. Here's what I want to leave you with. There are a few very simple ideas tonight. We'll build on them tonight and also tomorrow. And it basically comes down to this. We're going to have to fight for this. I mean, think about what Jesus has done for you if you're a Christian. All of the sins of your past, everything you've ever done that was in violation to His will, He said, it's gone. It's completely erased. You don't have to fight the demons of the past. You don't have to fight the mistakes of the past. They're gone. So the fight isn't about the accumulation of all of our sin. But moving forward, he's expecting us to fight for this. Set your mind on the things of the Spirit, not on the things of the flesh. How do we fight? Well, I'm going to give you a few simple ideas and we'll be done tonight. Number one, how do we fight? Well, I think at some point, it needs to become bigger than just me. Because if it's just about me fighting for my soul, I'm going to tell you what happens. I'll get out of bed one day, and I just won't care about my soul. I know I should. But today, I don't care. I'm going to live to be, you know, 95 anyway. And I'll do the wrong thing. You know how the fight works when you realize that you're not just fighting for yourself. At some point in every Christian's life, they need to accept the truth of the matter We are fighting for Jesus. We are fighting for the right, for the King on high, the Son of God, the resurrected one, to get the honor that He deserves from us. We're fighting for the King. Galatians chapter 3, while you're there. Let's take chapter 5, verse 24 first, and then we'll move back. Galatians chapter 5, since it's on the overhead in verse 24. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Do you see it? I'm not going to tell you just go out and crucify the flesh and stop sinning. Yes, that's the objective. But what's the motivation for the objective? I am not my own. I have been bought with a price. Your eyes, your ears, your tongue, your feet... They belong to Jesus, like three times over, because He made you, and He redeemed you, and He put an eternal quality within you so that He could be with you forever. One of the things we need to understand at some point is it's not just about me and if I want to be a Christian today or not. I am fighting for the will of Jesus because I belong to Him. Look at chapter 3. Chapter 3, please, verses 26 through 29. You talk about what it means to be baptized. We are so incredibly proud of Miss Riley today for her decision, for her love, for the beginning of her journey. Something amazing happened today, and it wasn't just an immersion to have the sins washed away. That'd be great. You know, baptism just took all your sins away. That'd be super. Really good. But it's actually way better than that. You come up out of that water and you belong to Jesus now. You are in His family. He is your elder brother. You are an heir 
of the inheritance of Christianity. Let me show it to you. I'm in verse 26. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free, neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to promise. A lot of great information there, but what I want you to notice is verse 27. If you have been baptized into Christ, you have been clothed with Christ. I have been covered with Him. I wear my relationship with Him. So I'm not just fighting within me about me. I'm fighting within me about Him. For Him, in His name, for His victory. So the next time I'm all alone, and sin is right there pushing and I think there's nobody there and there's nobody looking and I'm going to do this and it won't become a habit. A lot of people who've started habits started by saying it won't become a habit. I will never forget that Jesus is in the room. Jesus is always in the room. And He has come close to me. And He has covered me with His glorious grace. I'm fighting for the King, y'all. We say y'all here, right? Alabama. I knew we said y'all in Alabama. I'm from Texas. We say y'all. Because at the airport, the first person who spoke in the airport said, hey, y'all. Open your Bibles to Romans 6 for a moment. Romans, back in chapter 6 and verse 10. Like going back from Romans to Galatians, a lot of similar ideas. And if we get back there to chapter 6, you know what this chapter is about. It's about being united with the likeness of the death of Jesus by being baptized, verses 3 and 4. And it says in verse 10, notice this with me. For the death that He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life that He lives, He lives to God. Even so, consider yourself to be dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. I am alive to God. I am alive in Christ Jesus in connection and in fellowship with Him. Folks, your life changes when you do the right thing because it's the best way you know how to fight for the honor of the King. Let me show you a second thing. Go back with me to our text once more. Galatians, please. In Galatians, and we're looking in chapter 6, chapter 5 again, verse 25. The second thing we're fighting for is we're fighting for the cause. It's not easy, fighting for the cause. You know, that's sort of a military-type term. You're fighting for the cause. Usually it's freedom, right? We want freedom for our families. We want freedom in our nation. And so we're willing to go out there and do really hard things. Do you agree with me that soldiers do really hard things? That they make really great sacrifices that they did not want to make. They did not want to go out there and get hurt, disabled, or dead. But they did it anyway. Why'd they do it? For the cause. Because what they're a part of and what it means is so much greater than themselves. What an interesting idea. And so they're willing to give even difficult things. And the reason I say all that is, there will never be a day that choosing the Spirit over the flesh is easy all day long. It's going to hurt sometimes. It's going to demand sacrifice and even go against what you really, really want to do. But you have to believe in the cause. Who we are and what we have. Let me show you what I'm talking about. You're in Galatians chapter 5. You ought to be looking again uh, in this text, this time verse 25. Verse 24 said, you belong to Christ. I'm fighting for Jesus here. Verse 25 said, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. That's our cause. 
Our cause is to live according to the Holy Spirit and enjoy the blessings that the Holy Spirit has provided. We're a part of something great. Uh, rephrase. We are a part of the greatest thing. Being a Christian, remember I said yesterday, having your past sins forgiven, a present sense of purpose, and a future destination as clear as day? That's our cause, to live and to walk by the Spirit. Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. It will help us with this. Ephesians chapter 4 and in verse 1. I like the challenge of chapter 4 verse 1. I think it's very plainly spoken. It's kind of daunting, I'll be honest, while you're getting there. The idea of Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1 is a challenge. I do not expect to perfectly honor it, but it is who I am. And it's what I'm living for. Therefore... I, the prisoner of the Lord, Paul writes to those in Ephesus, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. With all humility. Here's some of the list from the, from the fruit of the Spirit. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Those are the spiritual weaponry. We're fighting the devil. Why are we doing it? Because I'm trying to walk in a manner worthy of what this is. What is this, y'all? Now I'm just caught up in the y'alls. What is this? This is a life of peace, joy and hope. Direction, family, family. How many times have God's people been there for you when your own flesh and blood weren't there for you? We're a part of something amazing, and we want to walk in a manner worthy of that which with we have been called. Look at verse 22. You're in Ephesians 4. Let's stay a minute. That in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. It's that last phrase I need you to see. This new self, this new life, this new me has been created by God for a purpose. He said that in Ephesians 2 and verse 10. You've been created for His workmanship. In this text it says, created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. I'm a part of a cause. You know what our cause is? Holiness is good. Righteousness is right. Serving God is the best way to live. You know anybody who doesn't believe that? We know a lot of people who don't believe that. Who's going to stand for the cause? When it's difficult and it's hard. Folks, you want to find yourself fighting these battles better. It's got to become bigger than just me and my choices and how it all works out for me. It's got to be bigger than you. I've got a sermon called the me bubble. People walk around in their me bubbles. Some of them have internally mirror lined me bubbles. Those are very interesting people. You've got to pop that bubble. It's not just about you. It's about Jesus and what He's invested in you. It's about our cause, the body of Christ, and why we're here at all. And then lastly, I would say this. We're fighting for the King. We're fighting for what it means to embrace Christianity. And yes, you're fighting for the future as well. This is all going somewhere. 
And you will probably, if some of the instruction I've been getting this week from some of the more seasoned veterans in the faith, that's code for older, if what they're telling me is true, time passes very, very swiftly. I keep saying, I've got these four kids, we're going through all this, and they keep saying, blink, gone. I've heard that ten times. This is all going somewhere. Where is it going? In Galatians chapter 6, it's going to a reaping. There will be a reaping. Sometimes that reaping will come in the very short term. Sometimes that reaping even comes while we're here upon this earth much more quickly than we can even imagine. And ultimately, that reaping will come in the final judgment. But here's how it is described to us. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Therefore, do not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. Boy, it's so simple. It's almost believable that you reap what you sow. You put it in the ground, you tend to it. If you put it in the ground, you pull it right back up, you throw it in the trash can, it doesn't grow. That's sin and penitence. But if I put it in the ground and I leave it there, and I throw a few more seeds down upon the ground, and I let it get watered upon, guess what? Whatever you planted, that's what you get later. That's the way it is with the flesh and the spirit. I'm fighting for my future. Who am I going to be in five years? Who am I going to be next year? Who are my children going to be? Remember, the little feet follow the big feet, right? Who are they going to be? What will my life be in the end and in eternity? We reap what we sow. So we sow the spiritual today, even though it's not the easiest thing to do, even though it may mean denying everything that your habits or addictions are pushing you toward, you deny it anyway, because what I put in the ground today will produce something in my garden tomorrow. And everybody's going to see it eventually. Let me show you this. Go back with me to Romans chapter 6 a moment. This is the way it was worded in Romans 6 as we get to the end of this study. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 21, our future and what we can look forward to is articulated in this way. Therefore, and he's talking about sort of that past life of sin. He said, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? That is such a strong question. We should have just studied that question tonight. That's a powerful question. Uh, Just really quickly, quick question. All of those things that you were doing that you are now ashamed of, just want to ask you really quickly, what benefit were you getting from that? Answer, none. That's why I left it. That's why I stopped committing those sins, because they didn't have any benefit, and they were setting me up for failure. So, quick question after that. Why would we allow those things back into our lives? I've already proven it has no benefit. That's why I became a Christian, because it had no benefit. It produces nothing, but look at this. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, resulting today, I would say, in sanctification. You get to be a Christian today and have peace. And the outcome, the future, eternal life. So yes, I guess I am asking you to think about you. It's okay now. You're you're good to go on that now. You're allowed to do that. You do need to think about you. I need to think about me. I need to think about whatever I choose to do this week will produce some habit, some thing, some direction that affects next week and the week after that. I need to be thinking about that. And one day I'm going to face Jesus 
And all of those sowings will create some outcome. I just need to be careful what seed I put in the ground. The key is to make sure that comes third. First, I fight for Jesus. It's about Him. It's always about Him. Secondly, I fight for us. For the Christians, for the cause, for who we are. And then thirdly, yeah, I kind of want to go to heaven. And it's ultimately going to come down to me. So, the battlefield is my heart, my mind, my life. The warriors on either side, very clearly depicted. The deeds of the flesh categorized as you see them there. And these fruit of the Spirit that we'll be delving in tomorrow night into. But tonight, I have a request for you. I want you to do it one more time and then we'll close. I want you to take a moment and look at those deeds of the flesh. It's been a long day, right? Everybody I've asked today, how'd your day go? It's a Monday. Been a long day. I had a great day, by the way, if that doesn't twist the knife. I want you to pick one of those deeds, and I want you to stare at it for a second. This is my weakness. This is something I left behind because I knew its outcome. And yet, for some reason, for some uh, probable cause, I have slipped back and it, it got me today. And I want you to find it. Just find it and stare it down. And once you feel like you've got it standing in place, wondering what you're going to do next, I want you to look at the other list. And you grab something, a tool, a weapon, a warrior, fueled by the Holy Spirit's wisdom that you believe has the power to destroy that sin from your life. and Push it back from which it came, the will of the devil. I want you to stare at that. And grab a hold of it. Tomorrow night we're going to get into this a little bit more deeply. I'm prepping you for some exercises tomorrow night. And 40 people show up tomorrow night. Victory is your. You can win. You can win. But two things have to happen. The second thing is you've got to pick your battle and fight it for Christ, for the church, for yourself. But here's that first thing. Remember all that struggle Paul was going through in Romans 7? He only got out of it because he found Jesus. You can't win this thing without Jesus. Just quit staring. If you're not in Jesus, quit, quit looking. It doesn't matter which side you pick, what you pick, where you pick, or how you use it. You can't use it. It's not going to work. You need Jesus. So we're going to offer an invitation tonight. Anybody here who is not in a relationship with Jesus, you want to be clothed with Him. Galatians 3. When we are baptized in water, we come out of that water redeemed and clothed with Him. Now we're ready to fight. We've got the armor of God and Jesus. You want to find more victory in your life? Find Jesus. Find Him tonight. Find Him now as we stand together and we sing.